Good morning. Youth band. <laughs> Whoever said only the uh, adults can do praise and music. Thank you for your hearts of praise. It's always exciting to get into the Word of God, isn't it? It's exciting to be in the house of the Lord. Oh, the glory to Jesus' name is what we just said. Yeah, there was a line in that song that said, you traded your hope in this world. What did you trade it for? An eternal hope. That's what we're going to be talking about today. The believer's eternal hope in Christ. As we continue our day of worship and the proclamation of God's word, the Lord has laid on my heart a very uh, simple but profound message. A message almost sometimes had been taken for granted by believers. You know, in my uh, conversations as I talk to people, believers and unbelievers alike, and I teach a class, whenever you talk about the eternal hope of heaven, the eternal hope to be in glory with Christ, it evokes such emotions and it brings up a lot of questions that people want answered. But it's one subject that really we do not take the time to elaborate and dig deep on. So in my conversation with people, I've come to the conclusion that it's either the believer has taken it for granted, uh, approaching it with a very nonchalant attitude, or some of them are just simply uninformed. They don't know. We like to talk about the love and care of Jesus. We love to talk about doctrine and forgiveness of sin. That's good. It's good things. But I think uh, the eternal hope that we have is not for funerals only, by the way. That is, that is where you mostly will hear the message of the eternal hope. Right? My prayer today as we uh, go into this subject is uh, if you're a believer in Christ, I pray that you'll be edified. I pray that you will be affirmed that you will be comforted and take this message to heart because this will help you in this life. It helps me. It does. If you're an unbeliever and you have not put your faith in Christ, I'm going to tell you right now, this message is for you as well because it's available for you. And this might just be the day that God will touch your heart. And you will accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you will also have this eternal hope that we talk about. Now, we are doing a series on, it's called Life Forever in Jesus Christ. And we're going through the book of John. And today we're going to be picking up on the last three verses as the Lord Jesus uh, closes up his prayer. And in verse 24, which will be the launching point of this message, we will pray for the eternal hope of all believers. Turn your Bibles with me to John 17. We're not going to go through the entire chapter again. I'm just going to give you a quick review of what we've covered so far. And we noticed, uh, if you're following this, uh, this series, you, you see that Jesus prayed for himself, uh, for his glory, in the first five verses. In the ensuing verses from verse 6 all the way to the end, 
verse 26, he prayed for his disciples, he prayed for all believers, uh, those that will come to believe in him. And I believe if you're a believer in Christ and you're sitting here, that included you. You weren't even around, but he already prayed for you. That's amazing. And he closes his prayer by affirming the will of the Father. Right? Before we dive into the message, I, I would just like to make a comment about this prayer. As I was preparing the message and I was studying, and I was following this uh, series uh, with Pastor Phil, I was in awe and I was struck so deeply in my heart by the selfless quality of the prayer of the Lord Jesus. It's an unselfish prayer to its very core. Remember he offered this prayer in the time that he was agonizing, in the time that he was in distress. Why was he in distress? Because he knew that in a few hours he will be beaten, he will be mocked, he will be insulted, he will be spat on, and ultimately he's going to go to the cross. But in the willingness of his heart and in willing submission to the Father's will, to accomplish the redemption of the sinners that he's going to save, he said, I will go. I will take on the cup of the wrath of God on myself as I carry on my shoulders the burden of the sins of the world. Your sins and my sins. Isn't that amazing? He was agonizing at that moment because he was going to be what? Separated from the Father. It's not as much as a separation from the Father, but it really is the Father turning his back on him, forsaking him, abandonment. Could you imagine that, to be abandoned like that, when for all eternity you had eternal communion? But for those very few hours, that was agonizing to him. And this is what awed me and struck me in my heart. In his agony, the Lord Jesus, for the most of chapter 17, prayed for his very own. Now let me ask you this. Have you been in a situation in your life where you were agonizing about a circumstance that hit you? Now, what would you do at that time? Most of us would go, cry out to God and say, Lord, help me. Lord, I need your grace. I need your resources. I need your provisions. Help me out of this. Get me out of this. If I was a betting man, I would bet the farthest thing from your mind was to pray for someone else. That which struck me in awe, that the Lord Jesus will take the time to pray for his own during the time of agony. That's a good thing. I thought I'd just share that with you. I didn't have anything to do with the message, but uh, I thought I'd share it with you because that really, I've been carrying that for a whole two weeks now, and it just hasn't left me yet. It struck me two weeks ago. All right, All right now let's go to the message, the eternal hope of every believer. It's the main body of the message. Let's go to John 17. I'm going to read from verse 24 to 26. And it says, Father, I desire that they, also whom you had given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you had given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. 
O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Right, like I said, we'll focus in verse 24. In verse 25, 26, uh, I read uh, one scholar, one pastor wrote about this 20, verse 25, 26. He said, this is the amen that Jesus gave to this prayer. And it's a very long amen. Right? What he's saying in verse 25 and 26, he's saying that he has all the confidence that the Father hears him. He has all the confidence that the Father will listen to him and he's asking on behalf of those who knows the Father and the reason that they know the Father is because they've known him and the Father and him are one. Did I confuse you yet? Now, but he is asking because they know you because they know me. And that's who we are in Christ. Now in verse 24, as we go develop this this verse, I'm just going to let you know that we are going to be going to discuss four main points this morning. Point number one would be that your eternal hope is the desired will of the Lord Jesus. Desired will. Number two, we're going to talk about the reason about this desire that he has. Third point, we're going to talk about the realization of his desire. And that would be realized when you, the believer, will go for your future resurrection and glorification. That could be tomorrow. I don't know. And the last point would be the eternal quality of the hope that you have in Christ. All right. Verse 24, again it says, Father, I desire that they also whom you had given me may be with me where I am. That's point number one. That word I desire, in some translations, it says I will. In the King James, it says I will. Instead of saying I desire. Some translations say I want. You know, I looked at the word desire and um, was trying to find out what it means. And it says a deep longing or a deep yearning for something or someone, right? That desire is, is an emotion that is filled with an overwhelming and consuming passion for something or someone. That's the desire. Now, his desire is for who? It's for those that you had given me. And who are those people? If you're a believer in Christ, that's you. That's me. And what is his desire? That they may also be with him where he is. Where is he now? Heavens, seated at the right hand of the Father. He wants you there. That is his desire. Now think about this for a moment because this is a profound statement. And this is the thing that we take for granted sometimes. How profound is this? And see how astounding this petition is for you. Let's look at it from a from a, point, uh, of, uh, from a point of reference as if this was an invitation. An invitation from who? From the Lord Jesus to be in his presence for eternity. 
That's quite an invitation, isn't it? Right? Now, to help you appreciate this thought a little deeper, I'm going to give you a contrast. I'm going to start with a question. Have you ever received, or lately, or maybe in the past, an invitation to be in the presence of royalty? Maybe an invitation from the Queen of England. Right? You open up the envelope, it says, Her Majesty, the Royal Queen of England, requests the honor of your presence to celebrate with her the seventh birthday of the royal pet. You may laugh, it's a royal pet celebration, but it's from the queen. How about an invitation from the governor of California? The Honorable Governor Jerry Brown would like to be in an event to be present with him. How about the President of the United States? What if she sent you an invitation? Actually, I had, uh, I had worked with, uh, with a guy that was um, invited to the uh, inaugural ball of the then-president-elect Obama. Right? Actually, he didn't get the invitation. The, the wife got the invitations. He got to tag along. And the wife was invited by someone who knew someone that worked in the Obama campaign. So it was like a third or second generation invitation. But nevertheless, this man was excited, right? Talking about it all the time, before the trip, after the trip, packed his bags, got on a plane, went to D.C. for two days, had a big party one night to celebrate the election of, of the president. After it was over, packed his bags, got on a plane, came back to the Bay Area, done deal. That was it. Nevertheless, an invitation to be in the presence of what? Political dignitaries. Hobnob. You know, people pay $40,000 a plate or even more to be in the presence of the president during some fundraisers that he will have. I don't know if you've been there, but hey, let's settle for In-N-Out Burger. Right? Now contrast that with this invitation from Jesus. Now let's just say that you did get an invitation in the mail from the Lord Jesus. He says, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords request the honor of your presence to be with him in heaven for eternity. Wow. Right? And, that, and that invitation will be signed like this. Signed by the one who spoke this universe into existence. He will be signed by the name above all names, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Woo, hallelujah. What an invitation. That invitation is more precious than an invitation from any political, earthly, political, and royal dignitary that you may encounter. But you know what? The best thing is that this is not an invitation. This is his desired will. Not only a desire, but it is his will. And is the Father's will in line with the Son's will and vice versa? So what does that mean? It's not only the Son that wants you to be with him in heaven, but the Father too. Because they're one. Wow, if you're not excited about that, I don't know. I don't know. You need more coffee. Right? If it's God's will, 
will God's will be done? Absolutely. Right? If it's part of His sovereign plan and decree that every believer will be in heaven, will it come to pass? Absolutely. This is a desired will that is certain and assured. That's the believer's eternal hope in Christ. And I'm just getting started. Now what is the reason for this desire? This will bring us to point number two. The reason for this desire. Why does the Lord Jesus have such a deep longing and a deep yearning for all believers to be with Him? We're going to take a look at that in the second half of verse 24. And I'm going to read that to you. First He says, I desire that they also you've given me may be with me where I am. And the reason is this. To see my glory that you had given me before you loved me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. That's the reason. To see him, to behold, to gaze at his glory. To see him in the fullness of his glory. To see him in the fullness of his majesty. To see him in the fullness of his exaltation. You see, no one has ever seen the full glory of the Lord Jesus. Not even the disciples when he was with them on this earth. They did not see that. Right? Because if you take a look at Philippians chapter 2, when the Lord Jesus first came, it says that he did not consider his equality with God something to be what? To be grasped or hold on. He divested himself of his prerogatives of full glory. He did not cease to become God. But the prerogatives of his glory, he divested willingly. He humbled himself, taking the form of a man to be the ransom for many. Right? Now, after the work was done in the cross, what happened? He went back. He was raised from the dead. He went back to heaven and got back what? The fullness of his glory. That is what he wants to display to all believers when the day comes. Right? If, the di if the disciples did not see him in his gl full glory, certainly much more so for us. He's not here with us. But we do have a foretaste of that glory divine in our day-to-day -day walk with him. When he cares for us, when he provides for us, you know, we sing songs like, and he walks with me, and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. We see his glory in that. When we get into the word of God, do we see his glory? When we pray, when we give, when we serve, do we see his glory? That is but a foretaste. And when we worship, the young people here today, when the older folks are here, when the worship team and the, uh, and the band, when we worship, we see the Lord Jesus in his glory. But that's a partial thing. Take a look at this. I believe that when we get and land in glory, we have a foretaste of this glory that he has. Imagine that foretaste that we have. It's pretty awesome now. Right? Imagine that as 10th thousand times, or maybe a million times much better. Ah, that's mind-boggling. I can't comprehend that. 
right? We will see him. He will be seated at the right hand of the Father. There he is in full display, in his full majesty, in the fullness of his glory. Hallelujah. What an amazing time of worship and praise that will be, I believe. Singing songs of adoration and praise. Hallelujah. Praise the Lamb. Wow. We're just getting warmed up. Right? The great thing is that he wants you there to see him in the fullness of his glory. Why? Because he's worthy. He's worth every, everything about it. He's worthy, he's worthy, he's worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. Now there's a verse in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. You can turn it if you want to, but I'm just going to read it to you right now. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. What will be has not yet appeared. That's future tense, right? But we know that when he appears, that's also future tense, what's going to happen? We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. I get so many questions about that. What does that mean? What does that mean that we shall be like him and that we will see him as he is? You know the reason why we will see him in the fullness of his glory? Because we will be glorified and we will be reflecting his glory from our own glory. How beautiful can that be? It's a mirror. That is your glorification. When I tell people that, they tell me, tell me more. This always provokes many, many, many questions. Provokes questions about the final reality of this eternal hope. I'm not surprised because these questions had been asked since the beginning of the church. Same questions that were asked then are being asked today. And where do we find the answers? Right here in the Word of God. And we're going to look at some questions here. And that brings us to our point number three. The realization of his desire for you to be with him will be fulfilled when your future resurrection and your future glorification will be fully realized at that time. And here are some of the questions that people ask. I just have made a note of it. How can we be sure that there really is a resurrection and a glorification for all believers? That's a legitimate question. You want to make sure, right? When will this happen? Oh, that's a favorite. Everybody wants that. When will this happen? How will it happen? What would be like when it happens? And it's a good one too. What is a resurrected and a glorified body like? What is that state like? Now the first question was that how can we be sure that we'll be a resurrection and glorification for the believer? Right? We're going to be... Um, Celebrating Resurrection Sunday, about three weeks. Why is that sets a very key event for all believers? The whole of Christendom, whoever they call themselves Christians, is going to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that so important? From what we're talking about today, that's important, that is a key point, because if the Lord Jesus Christ himself was not raised from the dead guess what? We will not 
be raised from the dead. There will be no hope for us. No hope at all. Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm going to read you. And the first part of this is uh, from verses uh, one, I mean, uh, 1 to 10. And the first part of this is the gospel. Right? This is the gospel, it says. And Paul writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And he continues on, and he says, He appeared to the apostles, He appeared to me, and He appeared to many, many other people. The Lord Jesus Christ was raised. Our Lord Jesus, we don't keep the Lord Jesus on the cross. We don't keep the Lord Jesus in a tomb. He is alive. He's been resurrected. And that, my friend, is the key to your resurrection promise. Because in verse 16 of the same chapter, it says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Exactly, starting in verse 12, I'm sorry. People were questioning the resurrection of the dead. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are found to be misrepresenting God. Uh, if I'm up here, I'm misrepresenting God. I'm a, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm telling you lies. Because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. That's what it says in my translation. And you are still in your sins. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, in the here and now, we are of all people most to be what? Pitied. So if, if the hope that we have, the faith that we have is only good for this life, and then one day you're going to be put in a box, go six feet under, some of you probably above ground, some of you will go in a little box or an urn, and if there's no resurrection, what's the point? That's what Paul was saying. But in verse 20 it says, and you should revel in this because it says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That is the key. That is the key. That is his own resurrection and his own glorification is the assurance of your own Resurrection and glorification as a believer. This is the anchor of your eternal hope. This is the hope of your faith in Christ. Without that, nothing else would matter. Uh, you should be jumping up and down the pews right now, but it's okay. I'm excited. Calm me down. When will this resurrection happen? When will this glorification happen? That's the most favorite question that is always asked. The answer, when the Lord Jesus returns. But then again, before you could even say anything, they're going to go like this. Oh, tell me, when is it exactly going to happen? What day? What year? 
right? And I will answer that question by saying, I don't know, right? The Word of God is not specific about the day, the hour, the time, the week, the month, right? We're not into date setting here. We don't put things two and two together and say he's coming in 1988 or 1989 or whatever. Not, because that is not the most important point. What is the most important point that people should keep in the back of their minds when it comes to the Lord's return? The important thing to keep in mind is that He will return. It will happen. There's no question about that. And the, and the certainty because He said so. That's where the certainty lies in. John 14 Verses 1 through 3, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would have I told you that I go to a prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may also. Wow, what a promise, huh? Mm. God also in Romans 8 verse 30 also promised that for those he has predestined, he also called. And for those he called, he also what? Justified, given the forgiveness of the sins, not guilty. And for those whom he justified, he also what? glorified, past tense. Why is that? It's a done deal in God's mind. It's there. It's not a practical thing for you right now, but one day you will be glorified. Amen. Another verse, Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 to 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. Now, if you're a believer here, you need a green card in this country, because your citizenship is in heaven. And from it, meaning heaven, we await a Savior. His name, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is he going to do? Verse 21. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, can you rest on those promises, dear saint? It's a done deal, this eternal hope that you have. Brings us to the next question, how will it happen? What would it be like? What would a resurrection body be like? Now, the Apostle Paul dealt with that as he wrote letters to the believers in Thessalonica and in Corinth, the Corinthians. First, let's turn to First Thessalonians chapter 4. And I want you to be there and read this with me. Like pastor says, I want to hear paper. Come on. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. You there yet? If you can't find it, it's page 999. All right, I'm going to read it to you. But we do not want you to be uninformed, my brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who do not have hope. So there's people out there that have no hope, I guess, right? 
For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with those who have fallen asleep. Again, falling asleep meaning what? People have died. There's people who are not taking any uh, siesta. This is not taking a nap. That's a euphemism in this context for people that have died. And these are people that have died in Christ. Verse 15, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, be ready to get excited here. That we who are alive, still alive at the time of the Lord's return, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will what? Will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be always with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Wow. Wow. When the Lord comes back, we will descend. We will meet him in the air. I call that going to heaven via airmail. The dead in Christ will rise first. My mom, my dad, my sister, your loved ones, your friends that are in Christ. If you're still alive, what will happen? You will be caught up. And you'll be with the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. Now the question is this. What would the state of our glorified body be like? People are always interested in that. To be sure, it's going to be different from what you have now. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul continues as he deals with this matter of the resurrection. And in verses 35 to 44, I'm just going to tell you what he had described. If you have sermon notes, you can check that out when you go home to make sure what I'm saying here is the right thing. He describes two types of bodies. The one that you have now, which he calls a natural body. And he describes that as a body that was meant for what? For living in this natural realm. It houses your spirit. It's a perishable body. It's in the process of what? Of decline. It will perish someday. It's a mortal body. One day it's going to go into the ground and be food for worms. It's a body that is born or sown in dishonor. And it's a body that is sown in weakness, prone to the ravages of disease and sickness. Now, anybody here had a hard time getting up this morning, getting out of bed, maybe some back pain? That's me. Are you dealing with knee pain? What about neck pain? Hey, don't look at your wife. I'm not talking about pain in the neck. Neck pain I'm talking about. Are you dealing with cancer? Each and every one of us here must have been touched by someone that we know or somebody that we love that was touched with, with the malady of cancer. Heart problems, asthma, the big three, diabetes, cholesterol. We deal with that stuff here. That's because our body has been sown in weakness. Now, the Apostle Paul now describes that this is the body that you will have in glory. And it's the opposite. It's the contrast of what he just described. It's not perishable, but it's what? Imperishable. It is immortal. 
It is not sown in dishonor, but it is going to be sown in glory. It is not going to be sown in weakness, but it's sown in power. That's the difference. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 58, he says, I tell you this, my brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory to our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, your labor, is not in vain. What a glorious truth that is. A glorified, your glorification. And you know what? One thing that, that really st always stands out, and I'm really excited about this, in the twinkling of an eye. What does that mean? Now, I want everybody here right now, when I say go, blink, okay? Go. That's a twinkling of an eye. Can you imagine that when you get raised, if you're dead and you're raised from the dead, in the twinkling of an eye, the supernatural divine power of the Lord is going to put back all the molecules, all the atoms, all the matter to give you that glorified body, but it's not going to be a slow process. It's going to be what? In the twinkling of of an eye. I thought I'd just throw that in to get you all excited here. And the most exciting thing is what? Victory over what? Death. People are scared of dying. Death is one of the most uncomfortable subjects that you can talk about. People don't know how to deal with death, but you as a believer, you have an eternal hope beyond what we have here. You're just passing through, my friend. Passing through. Brings me to the fourth point, the eternal quality of this hope that we have in Christ. This is going to be short and sweet. I'm not going to expound on this because your resurrection and your glorification, you being with the Lord Jesus, you being with God the Father, you being in heaven, that's going to be a permanent state. And guess how long will will last? for eternity, always, always. Remember what he said in 1 Thessalonians 4, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Look up the word always in the dictionary, and it meant always. Looked up the word forever in the dictionary. It meant forever. <laughs> Same thing with the word eternity. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. That is the eternal hope that you have in Christ if you're a believer. Take comfort in that if you are a believer. Take joy, encouragement in your heart in this truth, my friend. This is, I want to share a story with you as I close this. This truth is what carried my mom and the family. She was about 80 years old, in her 80s, ravaged by kidney failure, broken hip, was in pain, was suffering, just waiting for the day for the Lord to take her home. And she was actually longing for that. We talk about that all the time. I visited her one day, and uh, as, I, as, as much as I can visit her, she um, I sat on her bedside, and we would reminisce about my papa, my siblings, our experiences, our life experiences, our, our heartaches, and our joy. And uh, we knew that she knew that she wasn't on her way out. But you know what? The most joyful thing that we have in our conversations when I visit her is when we talk about this hope. There is so much comfort for her in this. She'll always tell me, so tell me about Jesus coming. Tell me about what it's going to be like in glory. And you can just see tears of, of, of joy coming from her eyes and from mine as well. And it's almost like as if the pain and the suffering, uh, it didn't go away, but it was a lot easier to bear because of this. One day, when I was visiting her, I felt led to sing her a song. It's an old song. I love this song. A lot of, some of you may know this song. Right? And, and the song went like this. I'm just going to sing the, car, the chorus. Uh, is Deborah here? I'm not crying out for the choir. All right? And the song went like this. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see when I look upon his face the one who saved me by his grace when he takes me by the hand leads me through the promised land what a day glorious day that will be hallelujah mm. What a glorious day that will be, dear saint. What a glorious day that will be. Actually, say that with me. All right? On the top of your lungs, if you're a believer in Christ, I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. And then you say, what a glorious day that will be. Would you do that? Do that for me? One, two, three. What a glorious day that will be. Amen. Hallelujah. What a glorious day that will be indeed. Indeed, indeed. I'm going to conclude this message by asking a few questions directed to two groups of people in this room. There's only two classes of people in the world. Those that are in Christ and those that are without Christ. Those that are saved and those that are unsaved. Those that are believers and those that are unbelievers. There's no in-between. 
It's either you, you're a saint or you ain't. That's what Vernon McGee says. Right? So I'm going to talk to you first. I'm going to ask you the question if you're a believer in Christ. You've placed your faith in Him to be your Lord and Savior. Do you take comfort in the joy of this eternal hope? Or have you taken it for granted? For some of you, if you're a new believer in Christ, maybe this is the first time you've heard about it. Now you've been informed. Take it to heart. Meditate on this truth and have it in the back of your mind and in your heart always. This will carry you through life. Now, if you're an unbeliever, you have not placed your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you don't have the promise of this eternal hope that we just talked about. This is available for you. That could happen today. God may be tugging on your heart right now. And he's telling you, I have this hope to offer you. You may feel that nudge of the Spirit saying, come to Jesus. Or you may even hear the sweet and tender voice of the Lord Jesus whispering in your ear. You know that song, Softly and Tenderly, Jesus is calling. Come home, O sinner, come home. This is an offer. This is an offer. If it was up to me, it's an offer you can't refuse. But it's not up to me. It's up to you. God's not going to force you to do this. Right? But think about this. There's only two ways people will go. In the last days, it will be either with God in heaven, with the Lord Jesus Christ in glory, or you go the other way where you will end up in eternal torment and damnation and hell. That may sound harsh, but that's the reality of the thing. So the decision that you make to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior by faith in Him alone, by the grace of God alone, is a matter of what? Of life and death. It's the matter of your destiny. So if you're sitting here this morning and that is what's happening in your heart, please do not ignore it. Don't tell me, I'm not ready. I've had people tell me that. I'm not ready. I said, why? Oh, I got to take care of this. I got to take care of that. I'll tell you, you can never get your ducks lined up, my friend. You'll never be ready. Never be ready. God will accept you where you are. Come as you are. So if you're one of those people today, uh, before we uh, close this out, meditate on it. Think about it. After the service is over, come forward. Don't run out of here. Settle the matter now. We'll have pastors and elders and deacons up here that will be glad to explain, if you're confused, a little bit more to you about this Jesus that we know and we love and we worship. Do that. Do that. I implore you. Let's pray. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we had been afforded as believers in Christ an eternal hope, an everlasting hope, a living hope only made possible by the sacrifice of your Son on our behalf. And Father, as we come away from this place, I just ask that you will move our hearts and stir our hearts to take that what we've learned 
into the practical applications of our life. Take it to where the rubber meets the road. Oh, what a glorious hope we have in Christ. Oh, what an eternal hope we have in him. And we thank you for that from the bottom of our hearts. If there's someone here today that does not know your son and has not come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to, for the forgiveness of sins and for this promised eternal hope, I pray that you will work on that heart with surgical precision. Open that heart that they may receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We praise your name. And we pray this in the name above all names. In the name of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And his name is Jesus. Amen.